The Creek Church is a community of believers located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you would like more information about the Creek Church, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Hey, welcome to the third service of the weekend. You guys thought you were the second service, the third service of the weekend. Last night, we launched Saturday night services, and I was surprised that many people would be there. Honestly, I'm like, oh, me of little faith. But uh, it was awesome. We had over 200 people come to church on Saturday night, and I'm excited because uh, people be getting saved on Saturday nights, man. Uh, so uh, I, the joke's passed. So you'll get the same jokes today that, that I gave last night. They, they, I got the two thumbs up from Siskel and Ebert, and so um, it was good. And uh, um, it's exciting, man. I'm excited because lives are getting changed. And, and um, last night, your last night service, our middle schoolers were sitting down in the front section here because they had just done what they call one night. So on Friday night, middle schoolers had a service here, and then they went out to host homes. And, and when I mentioned that, there was clapping that happened, but I looked over and it was the leaders that were clapping. I was like, man, we got a good youth ministry if you have an overnight with middle school kids and the leaders are clapping. Because when I was in middle school ministry, by that point, I was like, get me away from these kids. I mean, Heather and I were talking about camp when we were youth pastors and I loved camp, but by the end of it, I was writing a resignation letter. I was like, I no longer want to take care of your children. This is jacked up, goodbye. Um, <laughs> But uh, we've got a camp fundraiser going on out in the lobby where um, the envelope is the dollar amount because we want to help our kids get to camp. And so our elementary kids are going to camp this summer and our, our student ministry, our, so our middle school and high schoolers are going to a camp. And uh, we want to be able to uh, help them get there to camp without the crazy cost um, because I've I got to tell you this, Heather and I were talking about this when we were reminiscing about youth ministry days last night. I mean, 15 years ago, I was taking kids to camp and it was stupid expensive then. And uh, it just, it's just expensive. And so we want to be able to help kids that need to go, that want to go, go to camp. And so you can take an envelope and, and then you can see us at the Welcome Center, write a check, however you want to do that. Um, please, please be a part of that, getting kids to camp because um, you may change their life forever. There are going to be kids that get saved at camp um, because you helped them get there. So anyway, uh, Luke chapter three, let's go. If you got your Bible, um, if you don't, um, we keep some on the back tables for you. If you don't own one, write your name in it. It's our gift to you. And uh, if you've got a smart phone, a tablet, some kind of web-enabled device, you can look it up on an app called Version, And we put actually put our notes in there too. But um, we're teaching through the de- genealogy of Jesus today. And I know this is the most exciting thing you're ever gonna hear in church is a list of names. And when we were planning this series uh, and planning how we're going to preach through the book of Luke, we were breaking down in different series and, and, and we got to this. And, and this is one of those passages that honestly, let's just admit, if you're reading through the Bible, you just go, okay, that's his history. Next, next chapter. But I felt really compelled. I mean, I just felt like the Holy Spirit put some pressure on me to just preach this passage today. I'm like, God, you know, we're just going to read a list of names, right? He's like, yeah, I know. And so that's really what we're going to do today is read a list of names. But thinking about genealogy, last year, Abby had to do a thing in one of her her classes where she had to kind of go back and trace our family tree. And now I'm from West Virginia, so I'm just grateful my family tree branches. So um, bear with me. So uh, in my family tree... There's a lot of moonshiners in my family tree, um, but one in particular stands out. 
Um, he was a moonshiner, but also um, just, it, it just crazy. His name was Roy. He was a cousin. And uh, it was about 100 years ago, stole a safe from the airport and uh, couldn't get the safe open. I mean, you know, stupid is passed down, right? Um, so he takes it to a cliff, not far from the farm that I grew up on. He takes it to this cliff. It's about a 100-foot drop down to the rocks. And he's got the bright idea, if I push the safe off the cliff, when it hits the bottom, it's going to bust open. I mean, it sounds logical, right? Again, a lot of moonshiners in my family. He starts pushing the safe off. And you got to think uh, back to the future, you know, when Doc Brown gets the cuff of his pants caught on the wire. Well, the cuff of his pants gets caught in the wheel of the safe. So Cousin Roy goes over with the safe. So I don't know if the safe busted open when it hit the ground, but we know he probably did. But uh, so there's some crazy stuff in my history. Now, and, and most people kind of don't want to go into their genealogy because they're like, I'm going to find a lot of dysfunction. I'm going to find a lot of craziness in my family. And can I help you with something? I mean, I got incredible parents. I'm a, I'm a blessed man because my mom, and, my mom and dad loved the Lord and they raised us in loving Jesus and showing us how to have our own faith and encouraging our faith. And so I, I'm blessed with that. I know my parents love me. My father spent the last two weeks with me on the hands and knees laying flooring in my house. I know my dad loves me. But I know that I'm rare in that. Not everybody has that blessing of saying, I have incredible parents. So you don't have to look far in your family tree to find dysfunction. But can I help you with something? Every family... Every family has dysfunction in it, even the family of God. When you think of the church, the church is the family of God, and, and we're a pretty dysfunctional family. Sometimes we put the fun in dysfunctional, but, but we're a pretty dysfunctional family. Look at how many churches we've got. I mean, remember when you were a kid and you get mad at mom and dad and you pack your backpack like, I'm leaving, I'm running away. I don't want to be a part of this family. Well, there's nothing you can do to change that. You're, gonna be, you're a part of the family. You're in that family tree. And church is the same way. But when we start looking at our past, we start to find dysfunction. We start to find issues. And Jesus' family lineage, his genealogy, is the same way. When, when you look at this in Luke chapter 3, this genealogy also appears in Matthew chapter 1. And they differ a little bit. And, and I, so I was exploring why they differ so we could kind of have some understanding about this in this family line of Jesus. Um, Matthew starts at Abraham, who God gave the promise to, and he, he works from Abraham down to Jesus. So he's going all the way through the history of, of Israel and the Jewish nation to get to Jesus. And then Luke backs it up. He starts reverse. He starts at Jesus, and he goes all the way to Adam and then to the Son of God. And in the two lists, if you start comparing, because you have that kind of time, um, if you compare them, you'll find that they start to differ some of the names. But what we've got to understand, if you're ever, if you're ever wondering about this, Matthew traces the line from King David down to Solomon and then down to Jesus. And Luke traces the line from King David to Nathan, then down to Jesus. And, and some scholars believe that, that Luke is showing that even Mary is of the line of royalty in the line of David, in the house of David. So because some people would say, well, Jesus wasn't born of Joseph. Luke starts out in verse 23. He says, as was supposed. Jesus was the son as was supposed of, jo of Joseph. And so Luke, they believe that traced in some of Mary's line to show that even without the DNA of Joseph in that line, 
Jesus has a legal right to the throne of David through Mary. I know that's, that, that just blows your mind, doesn't it? I mean, y'all are like, dude, I, I'm ready. Let's go eat lunch now. Well, we got to go on, okay? So here we go. Luke chapter 3, we'll start verse 23. Um, when uh, Jesus, when he began his ministry, sorry, there was another thought going through my mind. Um, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathot. Now, this is going to feel like the first day of school a little bit. I'm going to butcher some of these names. I mean, I am hooked on phonics, but, but some of these are just hard. Um, and so remember the first day of school, the teacher's like, look, I, I'm going to try to pronounce your name. Correct me on the pronunciation. So when I call your name, raise your hand, say here. Um, so if, if any of these people are here, we're in trouble. Um, they're probably waiting on me to get to heaven and be like, you butchered my name, man. <laughs> I'm a warrior. <laughs> You're toast. Um, I'd be like, I'm redeemed. Jesus is my friend, you know. Um, Anyway, uh, the son of Heli, the son of Mathot, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jani, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Math, the son of Mathathias, Mattathias, the son of uh, Simeon, the son of Joseph, the son of Joda, or it could be Yoda. I mean, depending on how you pronounce your J's. The spirit is strong in that one. Um, the son of... <laughs> I've got to make a list of names interesting, folks, okay? Um, where was I? I'll just start at the beginning. Yoda. <laughs> I'm lost, guys. <laughs> I just Okay, there we are. Verse 27. I heard it. Thank you. The son of Joanan, the son of Rasha, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of uh, Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kosam, the son of uh, Elmadam, the son of Ur. I like his name. What's up, Ur? Um, <laughs> don't make me call you by your full name. I don't know. The son of Joshua. Hey, there's a normal name, Joshua. Speaking of Joshua, our keys player. What's up, Josh? Our keys player is Josh. And, and Lauren, who also is on our worship team, Josh and Lauren got engaged on Friday. So we got, we got some, uh, a new family tree is going to start soon. So anyway, um, it's exciting. Love is budding at the creek. Um, the son of uh, uh, Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of Mathot, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Melia, the son of Mina, the son of uh, Mattathah, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nashon, the son of Aminadab. All those I struggle with, and I got Aminadab. How do you imagine that? That's the Holy Spirit at work right there. The son of Admin, he's good in the office. Um, <laughs> the, son of, the son of Arni, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Sarug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg. I think we should call him Pegleg. Um, he's going to be waiting for me in heaven. Um, the, son, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of um, Arphaxed, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared. And all those names, you got Jared. I mean, man, so Jared was the son of Mahaliel. So he's like, look, they had trouble pronouncing my name. Let's go with an easy name, honey, Jared. He went to Jared. Um, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Wow. Praise God. Let's pray and let's go eat lunch.
<laughs> why, why read that? I mean, I, I, why study that? Why read that? Because it's in the Bible. And if it's in the Bible, there's significance to it. And I believe that God speaks to us even through a list of names. I mean, I believe that God speaks to us through all his scripture. It's all inspired. It's all God breathed. And he puts these names in here for us to learn something, for us, for our lives to be changed by these names that are in there. And when we start looking at the family lineage of Jesus and the genealogy of Jesus, you know, we can start to think, you know, we get this assessment. I said there's dysfunction in every family. And we can start to look at other families and go, well, it seems like they've got it together. I mean, it seems like that family's kind of put together. They don't seem to wrestle with the same issues that we would wrestle with. But there's dysfunction in every family. I mean, I'm just to pull some of these names out. I mean, you got Abraham, the father of many nations. God gave the promise to Abraham, through you, all nations will be blessed. It says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He's in Hebrews 11, the hall of fame of faith. Abraham also was a broken man. I mean, we, I'm gonna give you some, there's a king, Abimelech, and the king, um, Abraham was worried that the king was gonna take his wife and so he lies about his wife. And so the king's about to have sex with his wife. Everything comes out and Abraham, he's like, why'd you lie to me? Can you imagine the conversation with Abraham and his wife that night? Why didn't you tell him the truth? I don't know. But he was a mess. Abraham, the father of many nations. I'm going to say, well, he's in the line of Jesus. Jacob. Jacob was a deceiver. His name was later changed to Israel. Through Jacob and his name changed to Israel comes the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel, the Jewish nation. But he also was a deceiver. He deceived his brother for his birthright for lentil soup. I mean, there's not even meat in the soup. Come on, guys. If you're going to put something in a bowl, it's got to have meat, right? Or cereal. So <laughs> it's either meat or sugar, okay? No raisin bran. Give me, give me Cocoa Puffs. You got Judah. Judah was one of the tribes of Israel, and Judah... Um, Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. He's referred to in Scripture as the line of the tribe of Judah. Um, Judah was a hot mess. Judah, uh, there's no, this is PG-13, so some of y'all might have to do earmuffs, but um, Judah decided to go hire a prostitute and unknowingly hired his daughter-in-law. How, uh, that's in the Bible. How messed up is that? So we start to think about that. that, that that's pretty jacked up. But here's the beauty about it. Here's the beauty about God's redemption. I mean, Judah fell into sin, but God still is in control over what's going on. God still redeems broken people. God still works through broken people to accomplish his purpose. I mean, Judah fell into sin, but God's still in control. Then you get to somebody in the list like Boaz. Boaz was a man of God, a strong man, a leader. And we can say, man, he, he had his stuff together. I mean, he's a godly man, somebody you look at as an example. And we can start to think, that, well, I've got people in my past and my family that are great examples, and so I can stand on their goodness for my justification. What we've got to get to is we can't look, we can't, here's the beauty about the Bible. The Bible doesn't excuse sin. And the Bible also doesn't let us make excuses about our sin and not serve God. So we can't, we can't find ourselves in this situation of going, I'm not good enough for God to do anything with. I mean, a lot of people think that's humility. 
Oh, you're just being humble. You're saying, well, God, you, I, I'm just too messed up. God can't do anything. Can I tell you something? That's a blinding pride. Because what you're saying is, God, I don't trust that your redemptive power is great enough to do anything in my life. And then there's times we look and we go, well, I've got, I've got some good in my past. I mean, Boaz was a good guy. I mean, I meet people and when they find out I'm a pastor, they're like, oh yeah, my great grandfather was a pastor. That's awesome. Or my grandmother prays for me every day. Nice. We all need that. But here's what we have to understand. Your faith has to be your faith. My faith is my faith. We can't ride on anybody else's faith. Your parents' faith, your grandfather's faith, your great-grandfather's faith. You cannot rely on that faith to save you and sustain you. It is your faith in the Savior, in the Messiah, in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and the redemption of our past. It has to be our faith. You go down the line, you got David. David was known as the greatest king of Israel. David was also a murderer and an adulterer. David should have been out with his troops fighting war, but he's on his roof and he looks out, his, or he's in his room, he looks out his window and he sees Bathsheba bathing on the roof. Thus, we have many blinds now, but he sees Bathsheba. He says, I've got to have her. He calls his servants, they bring her to him. She ends up pregnant and the way he resolves the issue is he orchestrates the murder of Bathsheba's husband. David goes through incredible pain. The child born dies. But later in David's life, after the redemptive work of God, we see that David is known as a man after God's own heart. It's a, the redemptive power of God can take a mess and bring redemption and ultimately righteousness through that line. I mean, when I talk about the brokenness of, of a family tree, some of y'all are thinking about the brokenness in your, in your past. Some of you don't have to look very far back. Some of, some of you may be, it may be a, a grandfather, an aunt, uncle, a parent that's caused or inflicted incredible pain in your life. Maybe you're a victim of abuse. And you look back and you think, I'm unredeemable. Or, or, or maybe God's calling you to the truth today that you're the abuser in your family. And it's time to stop. And we can't say it's because of my DNA. Because the redemptive power of God can take DNA and create an incredible destiny. But what has to happen is there has to be a family intervention there has to be a change that happens. And what you see in this genealogy of Christ is, is you have all of this brokenness. And I mean, you have kings in the line of Jesus that, that here's the thing, one did great in the eyes of the Lord and one did not. One generation, so one, one king and then his son completely spins out of control. And then you have a king that's doing evil in the sight of the Lord and then his son comes back in and says, we're gonna follow the Lord. But something has to happen. There has to be, in all of that line of brokenness, there has to be an intervention, and that's Jesus coming into the family line. And when, when I look at this list, 
there, there's some, it just shows me that God's in control over history. I mean, even my history, even your history. And we start to think, well, God, you're in control over history, so you're in control of the good things that happen in my life. You're in control of the, the, the terrible things that happen in my life. And honestly, when I say something like, like God's in control over history, here's what, it, here's what it brings up. It brings up a question of, in that pain that I was going through, where were you, God? If, if you're in control, where were you when the abuse was happening? Where were you when the divorce was going on? Where were you when the, the business was failing? Where were you when the debt was piling up? God, where were you when the healing and the doctors were saying, there's nothing more we can do? I mean, we, we can get raw with God in those moments and go, God, where were you? Where are you? But you've got to be prepared to hear God's answer. I've been right with you. I mean, it's, it's a real emotion. In John chapter 11, Lazarus dies, friend of Jesus. He has two sisters, Mary and Martha. Jesus shows up four days after Lazarus is dead and he's just outside of the town and Martha runs out to meet Jesus. She falls at his feet and she said, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Mary does the same thing. If you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. God, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. My, my first funeral that I had to do after going into ministry, this was a couple weeks after going full-time into youth ministry, was a 12-year-old girl. And I get the call that she had collapsed, and so I'm heading to one hospital. And then the church assistant calls and said, no, they're going to care flight her to Cook's, so you need to turn around and go to the other hospital. And a few minutes later, my assistant calls back and says, go, keep going to the hospital that you were going to. She didn't make it. I'm going to be honest with you. In that car wasn't the holiest moment going on. I mean, I remember pounding my steering wheel, screaming at God. Why did you do, why, why? And I remember just getting angry with God. And in all of that anger and all of that, you know, sometimes God, he, he, he's gonna listen to us, but then he's gonna speak. I just remember feeling the Holy Spirit say, I'm big enough to deal with your anger. And when you're angry, bring it to me. Don't take it out on me. I created you with emotions and I know you go through suffering. I know you go through pain and it breaks my heart. In John 11, Jesus has moved to tears and, and God says, it breaks my heart to see you go through pain. And I can't give you an answer. I can't, I can comb the scriptures and here's what I can tell you that suffering and pain is a reality of life. Why? Because sin entered the world. In Romans 5, it tells us that when death entered, when Adam sinned, death entered the world. And death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Christ. So until Christ was born into this situation, death reigned. And it takes Jesus to intervene in this. And so what you have in the, in the King James, it's, this chapter is so-and-so beget so-and-so beget so-and-so. Here's how you can break that down. Is it, God created Adam... And Adam sinned, 
and Adam begets sin, and sin begets sin, and sin begets sin, and sin brings pain, and sin brings suffering. And I'm not saying that you're suffering because of a specific sin. I'm saying because sin is the operating system of the world, and death is the system that the world is under without the intervention or redemptive work of Christ, we're going to be in that cycle of suffering and pain. That's the reality of life. And Jesus is honest with us in this. And I can't tell you, I I can't understand why God hasn't stopped all of the suffering. But here's what I can tell you, that he is faithful and that he will redeem every moment of suffering we go through. When he is born into the family, when he comes in, when he makes that intervention, he will redeem it. And and I'm just going to be honest with you, there's some things in my life he still hasn't redeemed. I saw a lot of people, I saw a lot of lives changed from the funeral and beyond of that 12-year-old girl. But I can't say that I've seen the pain of that fully redeemed. There are some things I may not see the full redemption of until I step into the presence of God. And we start thinking, God, why don't you redeem this? You haven't done anything. Why aren't you doing anything, God? Let me tell you something. In Luke 3, you're seeing generations. You're seeing people pass and new generations come in and new generations come in until the Son of God is born. We're we're an instant gratification society. I want want my hamburger from McDonald's in 60 seconds. I mean, I I don't know where I got that in my mind that they have a 60-second turnaround. I could be way off base. I could be basic. My whole life could be based on a lie that they have a 60-second turnaround. But when I pull up to the drive-thru and it's like, yes, I'd like a hamburger, please. Yes, supersize it, please. And I, can, I speak McDonald's. I speak drive throughs But I like, boom, clock's ticking. 60 seconds, I should have a bite in my mouth, right? I mean, I should be going, ooh, that fry's hot. Because when fries get cold, they're just nasty. I mean, they're just nasty. I, I, they don't even become, they're not food anymore. I don't know what happens to them. Something breaks down genetically and they just become disgusting. But we want an instant redemption. And God's working a much bigger process. And can I tell you something? There are many things that I've gone through in my life that I I really feel like God says, look, I'm, I'm using your pain to minister to someone else. And God is hurt by our pain and God doesn't enjoy our pain but he's going to use it for his purposes. And when we find ourselves in this, in this, this life, in this situation, I mean, we, we, here's the reality with this dysfunction in the family and brokenness of the past and hope for the future, is, is you, it's not the inheritance you receive, but the legacy you leave. You're not always in control, or you're not in control of what your parents give you, but you're in control of what you leave your kids I'm not a counselor, I'm not trained in counseling, but I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say something that I see a lot, even in the body of Christ, even in the church, is that we use the pain of our past to become a crutch to disqualify us from the future. Let me break that down. We like to live in the victim mentality. And I hear over and over, you don't understand what my parents did. 
you don't understand what my grandfather did. You don't understand what, what he did or what she did. And I've got to be honest with you, I don't understand it. I don't understand how another human being can inflict that kind of pain in someone else's life. I don't understand how someone can so easily rob the innocence of someone else. I don't understand that. But here's what I do understand. You're at a crossroads, and the choice is yours. You can take the inheritance you've received and continue to pass that down, or there can be an intervention in your family. And that family intervention starts in the heart. It starts in that moment when you, when you say, Jesus, I need you to be born into this dysfunction. I need you to be born into this line of sin because all I've had is, is sin begetting sin begetting sin. And I'm asking you, Jesus, to be born into this as my savior, as the lamb who gives me a different DNA, who gives me a different hope, a different future, a different destiny, a different inheritance. Because if we share in his sufferings and we also share in his glory. We are in co-heirs of Christ. There's a different inheritance for those whose family line has been intervened by the precious blood of Christ. And we begin to leave something different for the next generation because God is a generational God. Moms, you may be the one changes the inheritance to a legacy of hope. Dads, you may be the one that leaves your kids with the grace and the hope and the redemptive work of Jesus in your life. Not that they stand on your faith, but they see the goodness of God. And they see that he has redeemed you. And you leave something better for your kids than you received. God may use you to redeem the people who hurt you. This isn't a rejection of your parents. This is a repenting and letting God redeem you and, and he may redeem them. He may use you, he may not. Because it, what I've seen is that the story of God's redemption, he continues to write through his children. Who are his children? In the book of John, the gospel of John, I love the way he puts Jesus' entrance into the world. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Later on, he says, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He's speaking of Jesus. So wait, wait, Jesus just entered this family line after all of these generations. No, 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 Jesus existed before the generations began. Jesus is the generations. And in this moment, Jesus enters in to bring that hope, to put an exclamation mark on the, the redemption story of the cross. And, and God continues to write that with us. And, and, and in John chapter 1, verse 11, it says that Jesus came to his own. He, he was born a Jew. He was born in a royal line. He, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But, but those who believed in him, he gave the right to become children. And, and these children, they're not born of human will. So it's, it, it's, not, a, it's not a thing that, that I will, it's not a thing of the flesh, but this is of God. 
And so through this blood of Christ that was shed on the cross of Calvary for the redemption of sin, for the redemption of our life, for the redemption of our past, for the hope of our future, um, he calls us his kids. What's interesting to me is in, in before we get to this list of the son of, the son of, the son of, the son of, there's something that happens at Jesus' baptism just a verse before this. Jesus is baptized, he comes up out of the water and, and there's a voice from heaven and God says, this is my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. When Jesus intervenes in our family, when Jesus intervenes in our life, we become children of God and some of you need to, need to hear this this morning. Some of you have been handed down pain and have walked through incredible pain but you need to hear your heavenly father say, you are my son, you are my daughter, and in you I am well pleased. You may have spent your entire life trying to please someone in your family that was never pleased. But when Jesus intervenes, when, when, when we just lay our life before him and say, Jesus, I need you, to be my savior. I'm asking you to redeem my past, my pain. I'm asking you to give me a hope in the future. I'm asking you to start to bring some kind of hope for the pain that I've experienced. Then what happens is we can start to see some purpose in that because it's hard to find purpose in pain. And it doesn't mean we're not gonna continue to go through hurt and deal with pain and deal with suffering and deal with trials. But we do it from a redeemed perspective. We do it as a child of God, as the righteousness of God, knowing that there will come a day that he will wipe every tear and he will redeem every hurt. So, so the question for us to wrestle with is just this, is, has Jesus been born into your family? I mean, has he come into your family line? And if so, are you letting him work the redemptive purpose in your life to give you a hope and a future and a legacy that is righteousness? Let me pray for us. God, we, we, we love you. And, and um, God, it's, it's hard to deal with pain it's hard to deal with suffering. It's, this is a hard thing to discuss because it brings up so many issues of our past and God, areas where we've been angry at how things have happened and um, we're asking you, God, to help us with our past. The, the good things in our past that we've built pride around and even the terrible things in our past that we carry guilt, we carry shame, we carry unforgiveness, we carry bitterness, we carry brokenness. God, I just ask that you, you just begin to just wrap your arms around us today like your children. And we ask for you to bring a comfort and a grace and a peace to know that your redemption is always working. Give us a peace just to rest in that.
God, I pray if there's anyone in this room that has never, you've never intervened in their family, there's never been that moment that you've been born into them, into their line, into their tree, into their lineage, into their genealogy, that right now you just give them the courage where they sit just to just ask you, Jesus, be my savior. I'm asking you to, to be born into this dysfunction. I'm asking you to be born into my sin, into my past, into my hurt, into my everything. And I'm asking you to redeem me and forgive me. I'm asking you to make me a child of God so that I can be the person you've created me to be and called me to be. God, I thank you for the courage for those that pray that because we know your word says that they are now a child of God. That you have placed the seal of the Holy Spirit on their heart, on their life for eternity and that you are a good father. We thank you for being a good father. And we ask you to help us to leave a legacy that is the righteousness of God. Help us to be the husbands, the wives, the men, the women, the fathers and the mothers and the children that you've called us to be. Thank you for redeeming our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Creek Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at thecreekfw.com.